Hi everyone, welcome to the FBC Paris where we explore intersectional feminism through literature. Today I'm talking to Musa Okwonga, a Berlin-based writer, broadcaster, poet, journalist and musician. And we're talking about his fantastic new book, In the End, It Was All About Love, which was released by Rough Trade Books at the end of January. Um, It's an incredible book, which I would highly recommend you check out. It covers so much ground in 123 pages. It's about Berlin, it's about cake, it's about racism and fear and loneliness and grief and finding your joy and finding your personal and professional self-worth. It's absolutely beautiful and I was so happy to sit down with Musa and have a really great chat about everything to do with this book, the writing and publishing process, the amazing support of his friends and Rough Trade in getting the book out into the world. Um, We also talk about Musa's next book which is coming out in April of this year and it's yeah I love all the chats that I have for the podcast and this one I just could not edit it down because every word was precious so enjoy. So listen thank you so much for finding a bit of time for the FBC Paris um just you know Let's start with hello and how are you today or in general, whatever you want. Really good. I just finished cooking a very nice ragu. Um, Ooh. Yeah, that's my sort of, because the plan was basically, I, I, I cooked that before. That by the time all the kind of like stuff is done this afternoon, yeah. then by this evening it will be. Perfect. So, You've got to, yeah. to like stew a little bit. I even just added the red wine out of the Merlot, which is the kind of like, yeah, dry. Nice. fruity with a full body i know i know it's so all good it's just, good. It's just you you've, you've got you've got like your weekend you're going into the weekend with such class and, and it's exactly style. it's exactly the mentality so that's you asked that how it was and to good. be honest that's what i'm most excited about that's what i'm most excited about yes we are for it for sure good food good meal it's kind of a form of self-care isn't it like just looking after you it is well. it, it sounds i know it sounds people people joke about it but actually like the speed i've the speed at which I now peel garlic is mind blowing. Like I chop a lot faster and better and everyone's lockdown cooking has improved. Mine is like, it's always quite, it was always quite good, but now it's like, I'm very proud of what I'm achieving in the kitchen. Wow. So I was gonna kind of open with congratulating you on the publication of In the End, It Was All About Love, but maybe, you know, the garlic. No, we can talk about the book. No, you can talk the book. No, it's fine. <laughs> Surpass that, you know, congr- double congratulations then. But um, no, seriously, huge congratulations. Um, it came out, I believe, 26th of February. Is that right? Uh, no, 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 no. Wow. It's, it's a, bit of a, a bit of a time warp. It's a bit of a time warp that we're in at the moment. What year no. are we in? Yeah, 26th of January, slightly delayed shipping because of, you know, all those things that we don't yes. want to name. Yes, the B word. Yeah. The B word or the P word, we don't talk about all the C word, whatever it is now. Um, yeah. But no, yeah, no, no, it's out there in the world. And actually quite, I was talking to Kate and um, Abby about this, my agent at yeah. Good Agency, I was saying, we were saying, and I think Abby suggested this, the fact that it's kind of reaching people at different times is kind of cool because... Yeah. 
what's been so funny is people are sending, I don't know where it started, but people started sending me the covers, going, oh, this has arrived. So now I just start sharing on social media every few days. And it's quite a nice kind of community feel, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's super nice. I mean, I think, you know, we, we might talk a little bit about this, but I've heard you talking about kind of social media on other podcasts. And, you know, it's that double-edged sword thing, isn't it? Like, I would say one of the kind of cons is how quickly things like go up and disappear or how quickly yeah. people can form opinions. But then in yeah. that, in this case, it's a pro because it's like really nicely staggered and the yeah. feeling can just kind of gradually build and be sustained, which is really nice because it's, you know, that kind of roller coaster is a bit like, I imagine quite yeah, stressful course. to deal with or just like, oh, today I feel really good. And then like today nothing happens. So I feel a bit sad or, or something. To be honest with you, the, the, I know I'm probably jumping around a bit. So please Go drag it. this back on track when you want to. Don't but worry. The funny thing with this book is I've never felt a book release like it because it's so kind of, um, I was talking to Kate about this. I was talking to Abby about this. I said, this is the kind of book I think that people would just, it will pass that people just pass it on and discover it at different times and places like it's i don't think it's a book you know i've released other books like football books where you put a book out and they have two weeks of visibility and the book just disappears and no one really talks about it again right. it's the next book i was like i don't think this will be the case with this book because there's too many anecdotal stories i've had already like people going a friend of mine sophia she wrote to me she's like and she's from germany she's from you know she's so it always means so much when a german person is like <laughs> you've captured my country and my city. And she was like, I'm buying this for all my friends for their, for their birthdays. Yeah. And that came out of, no, that's one person that read it who's like, I'm gonna pass it on within a part of Germany. And it's not even in German yet, or you know, not translated mm. or anything like that. So I don't know, I got like a good feeling about it. I've got a good feeling that it will just be a book that people pass on, I think. I mean, I think, yeah, I think you should have a, a good feeling about it. I mean, I think, okay, hang on. Let me try and bring this back on track. Um, so let's kind of start. So for listeners who may have heard about the book, seen it on social media, let's just kind of, I'm going to do like a bare bones of, in the end, it was all about love. And then you will obviously fill in all the gaps because you're the expert here. So it's very slim. It's like 120 pages. Um, it blends memoir and fiction, and it's narrated in the second person, which gives this kind of really universal feeling, which I think talks to that anecdote that you've just provided for us there. Um, there's three sections. Each section starts with a, a beautiful poem. Um, so Righteous Migrants, then Black Gravity, and finally Your Passport. And for, I personally came across your, your you um, and your writing and started following you on social media um, via The Good Immigrants. And oh, wow. Okay. So in the end, it was all about love is like really nicely in conversation because yeah. for anyone who hasn't read your, your again, outstanding essay in an outstanding um, essay anthology, The Good Immigrant, um, that ends with you having made the really painful decision of leaving Britain and basically, you know, getting on a plane to Berlin. And then yeah. in the end, it was all about love starts. Like it's kind of your, your first four years in Berlin, yeah. even though it's like yeah. memoir fiction, like. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of, you know, I'm gonna hold back on, on, on good. No, no, please, please. Now. I'm no, gonna, no, please. That was the no, bare we'll just... bone. So what can, like, what can people expect 
um, from this if they're curious about it or it's on their bookshelf and they're just waiting to pick it up and read it? I would say it's a book for anybody who's ever left home, their hometown or home city and moved to a new place to start a new life. It's for anyone. And it's based in Berlin, but I think that a lot of the stuff, the anxieties of finding a new place and finding friends, meeting people, falling into love, falling out of love, um, those are universal things to anyone that's moved to a new city. And what I would also say is when you move to a new city, a lot of things are amplified. Grief is amplified, love is amplified. Regret is amplified. Regret is quite taboo a lot of the time. You know, oh, I, I make my own life. I do my own thing. I don't look back. But actually, there's a lot of regret. And this book is about how you navigate life in a new city, but also how you navigate a relationship with yourself. Um, yeah. Because a lot of the time when you move to a new city, it's a chance to be a new person. But you bring that old anxiety that, or grief without the frameworks that support you in the old places. So in this particular case, what makes this book specific to me very quickly is that um, I came to this, I came to Berlin and I was 34 and my dad died and he was 40. So I was basically, I had six years until my, I reached my dad's age. I felt like to achieve something worthy of him because he did a lot of great things and he was killed in the war. And right. I had this sense of like, am I worthy? And I arrived in Berlin, like not only trying to confront a new city, but kind of confront myself, I guess. Absolutely. So that's what the book is about. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for like filling that in. Um, yeah, like loneliness as well. I think there's a lot of loneliness that comes up whilst, you know, our no our nameless narrator is kind of just working, working through. I think like I, I loved I've been to Berlin twice. Um yeah. but I really loved getting to know the city through your eyes. I think that's one of like, one of the many incredible things um, about this, this piece of writing. Um, and I think as well, you know, I kind I, of, I, I, I run, I don't kind of, I run a feminist book club. And so these past couple of years, I've really been reading 99.9% um, women writers. Um, and I've got to say, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a huge compliment to get the, um, the oh. contact, actually. I've got to say, yeah, no, no, it's a no. huge compliment. It's a huge compliment. Um, well, I've been very lucky because there's people like you, and I recently spoke to Derek Awusu. Oh, he's amazing. I know you're, he is amazing. He's amazing. Um, I spoke to him about That Reminds Me, and I also spoke to Okichukwu in Zulu, who wrote yeah. The Private Joys of Nana Maloney. So I feel like I'm on a roll. I'm just like, wow, <laughs> uh, this is unexpected, but I'm loving it. So I think for me, like I was conscious when I was reading it, but it, it felt refreshing and it felt almost radical to be reading a man talking about a lot of the things that you talk about, like fear mm. and loneliness yeah. and trauma. Yeah. And, and I was kind of like, this shouldn't, feel radical but that's kind of part of the beauty of it as well and so it kind of makes my heart sing when you you just said there earlier like this is something that is just going to kind of keep on getting passed round and you know through and mm. I just hope my, my hope would be that this gets into as many people's hands as as possible because there there is a universal ele element even though you're kind of I'm so happy to this is this is things you know this is my, I'm honestly so um, overjoyed to hear this. I can't describe because 
if ever I could articulate exactly how I'd want a book to be received, this is it. Like what? Because, well, because it's like I wrote it in the second person present because it's a gamble. Yeah. If you write it in the first, if you write it in the first person, you run the risk of just being this is my story and no one else can engage. Yeah. But I thought if I do it like everyone always says, like walk a mile in my shoes, and I thought what would it be to actually get people to walk a mile in my shoes? If you look at like mm. all these computer games, people have no problem playing a first person shoot 'em up game. They have no problem playing Halo or Grand Theft Auto. They've got no problem impersonating footballers, yeah. people like shooting, massacring. They've got no problems. So I thought, why don't you get them to actually live as much inside your head or someone like your head as possible? Because this book has poetry, prose, and also magic realism. Obviously, that part is fictional. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff in there is absolutely stuff that happened. And I just, I wanted to start the book in a very universal way. You arrive in Berlin, you hunt for flat. Oh, that's me. I could do that. And all of a sudden, the person's experiencing racism and homophobia. And then you're like, but by the time, hopefully, you experience that, you're in it. You're already, like, I don't even talk about racism, I think, until after the heartbreak part. So there's kind of like, it's it's a kind of gamble. It's a real gamble, Lou. And yeah. um, I felt like, from what you're saying, it was a gamble worth, um, it was a gamble worth making, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. And not just me, but like, I, I just, you know, as I said to you over, over Instagram, like, I've just seen this getting a lot of love and it, it, it makes me happy, you know? Um, Thank you. For, for you, obviously, for yes. you and all of the people who have like, you know, poured themselves into this book. Um, because I read, I wonder if we could maybe like yeah, um, sure. talk a little bit about how the book actually came to be in the world because I watched your fantastic chat with Nikesh yeah. and you referenced there that like th that was a you know that was a struggle as well on top of oh like writing and sharing <laughs> yeah, your oh struggle God. then like getting this book into the world was also a struggle sorry so I wonder yeah, if no, you no, could no. maybe just like to, not to of kind course. of make you relive your pain but it's kind of no, 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 lifting no, no. so if you no, could maybe share a little book. bit the beauty of this book is that all the trauma in this book has been processed. Yes, so people yes. go, oh my God, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is so brave to put this out. That's like, well, it's not It's not that I haven't worked through it and haven't had the, not just the yeah. catharsis, but I've actually processed it. So if people go, oh my gosh, this is so personal. I was like, well, well, that's what you'd experience if you'd been through what I'd been through. You'd feel, it would right. feel like this. I don't see what's so radical about that. But then in a way, and to come to the point in the book, you used that word radical before. I actually call this um, radical vulnerability. So we live in an era of like, you know, blaggers, right? Fake news, blaggers, people pretend yeah. they can do a job and they can't, people running yeah. for office, they're not competent. I thought the most right. radical thing at a time like that is just to actually speak your truth, yeah. unvarnished. And so this book came about because I wrote, I was, I was I'd written a sci-fi novel um, in 2017. And this is around the same time that everything was peaking, like Trump, the far right, all this stuff, the oh referendum God, in the UK. Yes. Right, right. So exactly. So this is when the book basically took place. So it took shape when I first, so basically 2016, the far right goes from 0% in Berlin to 14% overnight, right? Yeah. Austria, the far right is surging. They're surging in Italy, Salvini, like Stracher in Austria. Yeah, everywhere. France, every, Le Pen, like bad. it was Le Front National that got right. the, the final, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 2016, yeah. For those six months from 2016, obviously, actually, you know, that year from the mid 2016 to mid 2017, yeah. as a dark skinned black person in Europe was frightening. Right. So that was the backdrop to what I was experiencing. And then in my professional life, 
it was the first time in my life I'm like, oh my gosh, well, I'm not good enough. What if I'm not actually good enough to be a writer? What if I'm not good enough? So, because I've written a sci-fi novel and I'd sent the, um, it's why sci-fi novel, I'd sent the outline synopsis to different people. Yeah. Different agents were like super excited. Oh my God, can't wait to see this. Sounds amazing, sounds amazing. So I spent a year and a half writing it, sent it to them. And one by one over the course of six months, they all rejected it. 110,000 word novel oh, set in like three or four, three or four planets, three different alien languages, like all this. Wow. And it was devastating. And to the point where I was like, I don't feel like I'm capable yeah. of getting a book published. Right. So out of that, I was like, I was too scared to start a new fiction project. Understood. And I was like, what, what if I'm not good enough? So I just started sketching out exactly how I felt, like how does the rejection feel? Mm. And I woke up, I'd wake up at like six, the alarm would go off at 6.20. I'd have a black coffee in my hand by six and a bottle of water. And I'd write from six, sorry, so at 6.20 I'd get up at my desk by 6.30 and I'd write for like two, two and a half hours. Okay. Unfiltered, like no stopping, just pure, like not almost catharsis, but just like write it with that intensity. Yeah. So the book has a huge intensity to it and that's deliberate because I only ever wrote the book when I was at my full intensity in terms of like how vulnerably ready to be. So I'd, I'd start each sort of session with a kind of, I'm gonna talk about this and just be like, bang, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it bite-sized and make it for the Instagram generation where people are busy. Everyone's busy on different apps. Everyone's busy with kids. Everyone's busy doing other things. Yeah. So you don't wanna create, you don't wanna create a book that is a problem for people to have. You want a book people can accommodate mm. in the course of everything else they're doing. The Netflix series, oh, that's sitting there. I'll just pick that up. So what's the really exciting thing with this book is the response to it has been exactly what I'd hoped because I'm like, each section is basically 400 words on average, apart from one section. There's two sections, How to Eat Cake in Berlin, and a section called Freedom of Movement, which is the magic realism sequence, which is basically 1,800 words, I think. Everything else is deliberately super short. It's right. the book was the book was actually contrived to be a digestible narrative. And the third part's one continuous essay, but the first two are kind of that bite-sized thing. Yeah, so, yeah, which I found again was was something uh, that I found impressive because you know it's it's slim. It's like 123 pages, as you've just explained there. You know the sections are really really short, like almost like a Twitter thread kind of thing. Yes, and, yes. But there's also an incredible amount of control. So you are writing about things that are potentially quite emotional, but, you mm. know, everything is clear and concise and it's not kind of like this, you know, torturous thing that you're putting your readers through, um, if yeah. that makes sense. So, well, the nicest, the nicest compliment, um, and I'll finish on the process in a bit because I slightly went off on one, but <laughs> the nicest thing about the book was someone said it's a gentle read. Considering and considering how the mm. themes are, I, I I didn't think it. I didn't think it. I mean, I, I'm like this is quite. But she was like in the context of, I think she was like it, it treats the reader fairly. Actually, I don't know if it treats the reader gently. I don't know. But um, but, but one thing I will say about the book. Sorry, to, before just to finish. Like so, the, the way the book went was um, so I wrote it, and I sent it to like my agents. Yeah. And Abby, shout out to Abby Fellow. She was so excited about the book that she basically wrote to me at midday she goes can I talk to you and I'm like yeah everything okay and she goes I want to call you mm. so she called me at lunchtime having received it in the morning she was like I started reading a book this morning and I'm annoyed that I have to wait till the end of work to finish it to finish, <laughs> to, to, and I was like agents never do that anyone that's got an agent knows an agent doesn't they don't get back to you for like a week two weeks mm. Abby was on it immediately Abby sent it out within 
it was out the door in like, Abby sent it out like two, three days to all the, these publishers and they all said no. Oh. Everyone said no for a year, for a year. This book got rejected for a year. No one would take it. Is it this? Is it that? Is it this? Is it that? Right, because they couldn't put it in a box, right? They couldn't, like, they couldn't place it. Yeah. They didn't know how to sell it or market it. It felt No like... one took it. No one took this book. And then Rough Trade got into, um, Abby sent it to Rough Trade and they got back immediately and they were like, yeah. And the job they did with it, the design they did with it is so mind-blowing. It's almost like, yeah, it's almost like they were the perfect publisher. It's like if 10 other people had come in to publish it, I don't think they could have done it better than Rough Trade did it. Like right. just the aesthetic, yeah. Does that make sense? Don't... And it makes total sense. And in a way, this kind of what you're describing, it just kind of fits perfectly with almost what you wrote through in the book. Like a lot of the book is, just to be a little bit cliched, you're, you're obviously on this kind of journey. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of the book is you question like you finding your self-worth on a personal and a professional level so yeah. it's almost like of course you had to wait like right yeah and then when the publisher came along it was like the publisher and now you can't the perfect yeah it's the perfect a better job you know yeah the, the beauty of this book is it's like a physically beautiful book like you look at it you're is. Like, it's gorgeous oh, oh my gosh i looked at the other day i was in a bookstore and wow. i looked and i was like i was like this is a book that I would pick up if I knew nothing about, like, and shout out to Craig Oldham. Yeah. Uh, Craig Oldham and Prince of Thieves who put this together, the mm. cover design. I look at this book and I'm like, cause I sent it to people. Um, they, they had three different designs. They said to yeah. my friends, two of whom had read it. And I said, you've read this book, which of these three covers is the one? And they went wild for the one that is now. They were like, that's the one. They were like bold font, bold design for a bold book. That's the one. Oh. And I was so hyped because I was like, I just, this book feels like, like its journey has been unbelievable. Like yeah. I can't, it sounds so pretentious, but <laughs> no. my life basically, I am, how do I say this? I feel like I've created work. Like if I never wrote another word, mm. it sounds really pretentious. If I never wrote another word, I'd be like, that was a piece of work that I would regard as a piece of defining work for me because it is everything I wanted to say about love, grief, the far right, where we are now, climate. It's like everything I wanted to say in one thing. And it's like, yeah. that is what I have to say. If anyone says to me, what is your work? I'll be like, it's that, that's it. That's what I want you to see as an introduction to anything I've ever done. Or if you just want to read one thing, please just see that because that's everything. And the amazing thing with Rough Trade was right, the edits that came back. So Abby sent it out to all these people. My friend was like, oh, but shouldn't she have edited it? Shouldn't she have this? When Rough Trade did the final edit, it has almost no edits. The only edits are line edits. Yeah, there's like, no, there's, there's nothing, it's almost, I've done many books before, like this book basically almost wrote itself in a weird way. Mm, it, yeah, it feels like a kind of, I mean, you're still very much living obviously and will continue to do so, but it does feel like a kind of lifetime, like it has taken you, Yeah. you know, your, your life, you've lived your life, you've lived what you, you wrote. So honestly, um, it, it yeah, it kind of makes sense. It's it, it, I understand that it's kind of like a very defining piece of work for you and a defining moment in your career, if that's not too ridiculous. No, no, it's not pretentious because it's not, it's not. I, it's know, not I know you do a lot of things, like you're not just 
a writer you've lived kind of several lifetimes and and you know you you have a football pod, podcast I know you're going to be really we'll we'll kind of get get into that but you do you do many many things so yeah I don't want to kind of like reduce your career to like just one thing but this does feel like a kind of career defining moment you know you're right and it is Lou, because it's like a thing I had to get done like we all want to please our parents right, right. and how do you please our parents if they're no longer with us how do you know if they're actually satisfied? And if you you've, yeah. sorry, no, sorry, you finished. No, it's fine, no, please, no, please, please go on, please go on, please. Well, please. I was just gonna, well, I was going, sorry, I was interrupting you to say, and also you were only four when your father died. Yeah, so, that's right, yeah, yeah. you know, his absence is, is, is quite a presence in the book. Yeah. So you'd also didn't really know this wonderful man who your mother you know, speaks very, very warmly of, um, yeah, you, you never really knew him. No, um, not at all, not at all. And, yeah, So you're chasing this kind true. of, yeah, yeah, you're chasing, and it's not as, you don't realise how big it is until you, so a lot of the book, like, you know, the parts of the book, you know, some, a lot of the book is true, and the final segment, mm -hmm. the entire final segment is true. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a thing, I went to his village in, um, the north of Uganda. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to go at first, but I went for a sense of closure. And the way I describe it is, you know, you play a computer game and you've got to like go to a certain, there's things you've got to collect before you can go to the next level. Sure. I feel like, I feel like a part of myself hmm. was in that village in the north of Uganda. And I went there and I collected it. Hmm. And so the end of the book actually is the beginning of an entirely new life. Yeah. It's the beginning of an entire, and I've actually been a different person since, since returning. It sounds weird, but like, no, the contentment. So, so this book, this year, like I've got these um, book projects coming out. Yeah. And we, so this is very exciting. So this, so I have three books coming out. This is the first of three and we wow. signed the third. So the, this, this two book deals came in in half an hour. So I was on the phone. <laughs> I, was, I, was, so I was on the phone and I was on the, this is, a, this is a true story. So I was on the phone to, um, a lovely woman I was dating uh, mm -hmm. and we hadn't spoken in years right we're just in mm -hmm. touch she's like really cool we're still mates so we, we've been in touch online but like you know how it is on Twitter like you're in touch but you don't talk you're like you could talk sure. to someone for ages but not speak yeah. to so she gets in touch out of, the, out of nowhere just to say hi <laughs> and we're on the phone and we're talking and then my phone gets two notifications and basically oh. in half an hour two books which have been out on offer for like ages two offers come in for the, yeah, and it's unreal. So this all happens. That with the only baseball. happens in films, Musa. <laughs> right, right. It only happens in films. And the amazing <laughs> thing was that it happened. So we signed. So there's a book. There's a book coming out about football, which is coming out in September. There's a yes. book about being, me being at private school. Yes. Um, Want to have a quick chat out. with you later about that? Of course, definitely. yeah. Um, and then this book. And so these books are coming out. And the funny thing was, the last of these book deals arrived just before my father's. Um, birthday just just oh. just before I passed just before I passed my father's age the final book deal arrived and I was like oh my goodness I did it with 18 days to spare 18 days before I passed my father's age I did it I was like dad I did it that's literally how I felt oh come on you might be the first person to like make me cry on a podcast um that's I mean I'm not like a, I'm not a particular me personally I'm not a, a religious person but that feels like your me dad neither. maybe had a hand in that, you know, like right. someone is kind of looking down and making sure that the stars aligned. That's well, it's, it's, it sounds so wild. It sounds wildly yeah. because it feels it feels like um, 
I'm not I'm not a religious person. It's the thing. Mm. It's just that this journey, right? If I look at all right. the things that came yeah. together, had to come together for this to be a thing. Yeah. The amount of luck, the amount of sheer luck. Let me also say that because people don't talk about luck enough. I've had a lot of luck in my career. I've had a okay. lot of privilege in my education. Right. I've had luck by people that backed me. The flat I'm staying in now, mm-hmm. it's very difficult for black Africans to find flats in Berlin because the housing market's got housing discrimination issues like a lot of places. Right, like a lot of places, yeah. And the woman and, and that... And which I, you wo- bring up, it yeah. comes up in the book as well, yeah. Yeah, and the woman that I basically am renting off, I've been here for six and a half years because she yeah. said to me, Black Africans have trouble finding places, but I think my place will be safe with you. Here you go. And she basically let me rent it as a gift. Yeah. So I've had all this luck, right? And even people take a chance on projects of mine. Yeah. Giving things a go. But yeah, it's just the way it's worked out. Well, some of some of it's luck. Um, some of it's like timing as well. But we and talk a lot about it is heart, you. Yeah. Yeah, but I know we, we talk a lot about we talk we talk a lot about we talk a lot about oh I just grafted yeah but a lot of people are grafting a lot That's of people true. a lot of people are grafting and they don't yeah. get anywhere and it's and brutalist. not everyone makes it yeah they don't they don't they don't and this is in a yeah. way like when I this book came out I slept with a copy of it on my bedside like on my mattress next to my pillow I slept with it there I just couldn't believe it existed <laughs> I cannot believe that this book exists mm. with everything it took like yeah. the emotional strength to write it to have the vulnerability to write it mm. and then to bring it into being and to execute it as well. Because the thing that excites me with this book so much is mm. every single creative risk I ever wanted to take in a book I've made with this book. Like it's the, it's the, it's creatively the most ambitious thing I've ever done. When you say creative risk, what does that mean to you exactly? What were the creative risks that you took in this book? It's writing a book as a series of fragments that still have momentum. Yeah. Yeah. That's the challenge because you're writing stuff which doesn't have like a kind of, you've got to keep things kinetic. So you're writing all these different fragments. People have to be able to follow the path. So I'm writing them in different orders. Mm. I wrote this, some of these poems I would write, some of these pieces. Sorry, you were saying, no, please carry on. Please no, jump no, on, please. It's, no, 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 I'm ready. I've got it. I'm not going to forget what I'm going to say. You keep going. Okay, so like some of it, like, and the way they wrote this book, like I'd never, the risk, the other risk I took was I'd never written a book before where I was reading out sections of it while it was in progress. So I'd go and read out sections like, you know, Charles Dickens would like publish, he'd publish chapters yes. and then like show, send them around. Yeah. And I thought, so this book was written in conversation with Berlin. Mm. So I'd write a segment. So there's a poem called How to Play the Race Card. I That's an eight minute poem that I perform at like spoken word nights. Yes. And people would be like, oh, what's that? And I was like, oh, that's actually from a book. And they'd be like, what? Where's the book? And I was like, oh, it's not published yet. It's not coming out for another year. No, it's published it. And they'd be like, where is this book? <laughs> so I'd read out, I'd read out different segments. So for example, oh, wow. How to Eat Cake in Berlin. I read that out. Wow. That's my friend, Kirsty. So Kirsty just moved to Berlin. I said, Kirsty, this is for you. Aww. It's Aww. an ongoing book um, called In the Inner Without Love. And here's a piece called How to Eat Cake in Berlin. So I read that out at a place okay. called um, Refugio, gave the piece to, to Kirsty yeah. and forgot about it. Months later, Kirsty said to me, Musa, I didn't tell you I was doing this, but I made two copies of it and gave it to friends. And they presented it to their counsellors and said, this is how I was feeling this week. Let's talk about it. This describes, this chapter of a book that's not even out yet, described my feelings. Whoa. Yeah. This book has had such a journey. Like, honestly, it's had such a journey. People are really, really connecting to it. Clearly, like that. That's, That's incredible. That must be such a... I've never had nice this feeling. That must be yeah, because nice Louis, because right? Louis, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if you um, 
obviously you're someone that reads like curate a lot but there's some things where you're like when this book was not being published it was funny like it had two full podcasts about it before it even came out so the old Anthony oh, Bourdain wow. podcast Roads and Kingdoms yeah um so Nathan shout out to Nathan Nathan Thornburgh who basically yeah. produced of um the Roads and Kingdoms podcast he read the extract of it that I posted the opening chapter mm. and it was like and because it, it went viral on Instagram the opening chapter I posted on Instagram and he was like oh my god what is this? And I'm like, oh, it's from a novel that's not a book that's been unpublished. And he was like, they're wrong, they're wrong. So he did a whole hour long interview about the podcast, about the book. And I was like, but Nathan, it's not out. He's like, it will be. Oh, that happened to wow. two different, yeah, that, that happened two years ago. Like they were like, yeah. And I was, I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, what is, because this book was like, honestly, when I talk about risk, the short segments, the fragments, the poetry, the magic mm. realism, there's a, there's a dream sequence. And I'm like, how the hell did I get away with that? Like, I'm not going to get away with this. I'm not, I'm not going to get, because I, I foreshadowed the magic realism the whole yeah. way. And then I dropped, and I was like, they're not going to like, but they were like, and, and Kate, to her credit, who does the publicity, I knew this book yeah. was in safe hands. When Kate said to me, we had a chat about the book and she said, you wrote that in one sequence, didn't you? You wrote that in one take. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. Like she understands. The people at Rough Trade and Abbey, they understood the process of writing it. Because Will Burns, mm. he edited it. Will Burns is like a poet, okay. so he knows. Oh. He, review, he basically edits for beat. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Uh, but just two things I want yeah. to say before I do forget, because yeah, yeah, sure, sure, brain yeah, is sure, like sure. a sieve these days. I think um, your kind of background in, 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 in music and spoken word yeah. really helps with the kind of rhythm and keeping that momentum going that you were talking about in yeah, yeah. kind of shorter phrases. Like it is, it's a real skill. And um, I, I've not read anything like this, which is of course not to say that like something out there, you know, doesn't exist that's similar, but it felt very, very unique to me. And so again, just like well done on that because yeah, even the form of it is, I think would be very, very tricky. Um, actually, the one thing that I would maybe compare it to is the Poet X by um, Elizabeth Achevedo, which is kind of like, she has a background in like oh, wow. um, slam poetry. Um, and, but still you had kind of like shorter fragments. It's not a hundred percent the same. No, I love these comparisons. I, you know, no, it's great. It's, yeah. Um... Um, if you ever get a chance to read that book, actually, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a good one. Um, well, it's a very good one. What am I saying? It's quite a good one. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to say about the book cover is that I just love how colorful and bold it is, especially because you talk about like the Berlin uniform of black. And yes, you yes. Kind of, you know, you came to Berlin and you were happy because in the beginning you were like invisible and that is as invisible as a, a yeah, yeah, right. black man can be in of course, Berlin, yeah, no, exactly, right? Yeah. But then in your like how to play the race card section, you're just like colour. Like my wardrobe yeah. is getting colour and I'm yes. happy to see you in red today. And so yes. when I saw <laughs> like the cover of the book, I was just like, mm, yes. Also a little yeah. bit about sexuality as well like yes I, I kind of I loved it I was like this no it's all there it's all there listen listen you thought listen did, listen <laughs> this is this is this is the content I'm here for this is what I came for you know because like I want this what, what I love about this I just sat there and it sounds narcissistic I just sat there looking at it when I I got yeah. like um my limited edition ones right right so oh, yeah. yeah you get the first hours with like different all like unique covers so nice. I get five under my contract nice. I actually bought I bought five extra 
I lo- yeah, I bought, I was like, I love these so much, I can't just have five of them. So I bought 10 of them and they gave me the first 10. I have numbers one to 10 of thousand. Oh, wow. I cannot describe how spiritual that feels. They're just sitting there like just on my, and I just sat there looking going, this book exists. <laughs> it's absolutely beautiful. I adore it. I adore yeah. this item of, as a piece of art, as a, as yeah, a piece of art. Right. And that's what I mean. Like you can really tell those books that have been put out in the world where just it's been a whole team of people who have cared about it and who have, you know, yeah. paid attention and like done it justice. And yeah, I just feel like in the end, it was all about love. Just really. Yeah. Wow. As I say, it was, thank you. It was, it was, a, book, <laughs> it was a book made with love. That's the thing. It was made yes. with patience and well, like. It's about love, right? Like that's not an ironic title. It is about love, like loving yourself, loving others um understanding that love sometimes doesn't work out like it, it is about love yeah and yeah and, it, and it's also what I like what I like about the book I will say this is because it doesn't go with I didn't like this at the time but now actually the fact that the book wasn't instantly validated with publication mm. it was almost like it forced me to go away and be like was this good are you proud of it and it made me work through it and be like okay look I am actually genuinely I believe in this. I gave it to mm. Abby and I said, I'm really sorry. I've been giving you projects that are difficult to promote. I'm really sorry. And she was like, no, no, no don't apologize. It's like the work that you felt, you know, you had to make. And yeah. she always believed in it, to be fair. And I didn't. I didn't because I just thought, who's going to go? You know, the old doubts came back. Like, is it poetry? Is it prose? Mm. Then I looked at all the people and I was like, well, hang on a minute. Like, Teju Cole wrote Every Day is for the Thief. And Fernando Pessoa wrote the book of Disquiet. And I said, but I'm, the thing is, I said, I'm not Fernando Pessoa and I'm not Teju Cole. Mm. So I'm not sure I'll get away with this. And I'm not Vikram Seth doing the Golden Gate. I'm not sure I'll get away with this. Cause I'm not like, I didn't have a literary, I did not have the literary respect. Like, and that, I'm not saying that as like, I'm not uh, trying to be harsh. Yeah. I'm not, I'm a, I'm, I'm a football writer. Yeah. I'm a podcaster. I'm a political writer. I, I'm a blogger. I'm a, you know, I'm not someone yeah. that people would look and be like, ah, oh, it's not, it's a literary, the thing I'm proud of this is a literary work. Like whatever people might say, is it fiction, is it not? They won't be able to categorize it. Mm. Um, I'm like, it's just a book. I'm not actually yeah. fussed about what people call it. I'm just, I just want you to read it. I just want people, my dream for this book is for it to be a found object. I want it to go to a youth hostel when those things are open again. And I want someone to take on holiday with them and read it and then just like forget it in a youth hostel. Someone else pick it up and take it on a journey with them. Yeah. I want people to have this in their inside pocket when they're on the train. I want that's what I want for this book. I just want it to. Yeah. I want it to. I mean, oh, what, oh, that's interesting. Someone grabs it for the getting. You know, you're going to get on a flight and you grab it from the kind of. Oh, that's. I might grab one of those. I take it on the plane. I like. You know, I want. Yeah. That's just what I want for this. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that. That circles thing that you 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 talk about. It's it's kind of it's at the very end, I believe, uh, when you're in Uganda, when you kind of. I don't want to say come. I'm not sure I'm using this correctly. I don't no, you are. No, full no, no. Circle, but but you, you, no. you basically say like, I don't want, you know, so many people focus on like climbing upwards and yeah. getting to what is up there. But for me, it feels much more about like a circular journey. Yeah, that that's exactly what it like, was. Like how this book is going to also like journey, which I just, I love. Um, I have, I'm so happy because I had no idea how to end that book. And then I went to Uganda and I was like, it must be this. But it I, must be this. Yeah, I mean. Sorry, you're saying. No, 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 not at all. Sorry, it's me. I mean, the ending. I don't know. I just found it. Part of it was like satisfying. I was happy that like 
you the nameless narrator had had gotten to this place like that you know you talk of like your soul being full about yeah. not running anymore and it just that's exactly how it was that that, so that, is, nice, that, is, you know? that is all me that's exactly as I felt that's exactly I, I wrote that on my um smartphone on the way back to Kampala because I know I, I read that tell of... us more because I'm I'm so impressed by this so I want like the people listening to the podcast to hear it Go. Okay. Well, so the final, so the final part is called homecoming, and I basically went to my. Um, it's a story of me arriving back in Uganda, and every single syllable of that is true. That is exactly everything that's in the homecoming segment. That's all exactly true. Right. Okay. In fact, everything from every every single syllable of part three is is, is true. So passport down to my dad's yeah. passport number. Yeah. Um, seven four five six two. That's that's all completely accurate. Yeah. And so, so I basically went to Uganda. Um, I went to my dad's village. Went all the way north, um, three hundred and twenty-two kilometers from Kampala, all the way to this village in the north, uh, and the Sudanese border. So, three hundred twenty-two kilometers from Kampala to this town. Then you go on another, another hour and a half, and that's right the Sudanese border. So, you go all yeah. the way up there to my grandfather's grave that I haven't seen since we buried him when I was four years old. So, my first, my first yeah. three, mem- my three memories of my father. My three acquaintances with my father have all been associated with death. It was like his, I saw his coffin when I was four years old, then I buried him when I was four years old, mm. then I saw his grave again um, a year and a half ago. Yeah. And so I go to this grave and without giving too much away, I had this experience oh. there and I basically, as I, as I left that place, the healing began. Yeah. The healing began. So we drove back to Uganda. We drove back to, I drove back that night. I drove back then. I didn't stay in uh, the north. I drove straight back down mm. in the same vehicle I came up in. And I began to write. And it's so wild. You're saying how poetry and slam poetry prepared me for some parts of this book. It's so weird. It's like all the things, all my skill sets came together to write this book. So slam poetry, obviously, but also Twitter yeah. giving me the brevity yeah twitter instagram learning how to like write stuff but also the thing is what i'm a football writer so for years i'd been typing match reports on my phone yeah i'd been typing to deadline right so to deadline i've been typing 800 word match reports on my phone for espn for seven years after a game so within half an hour you have to type 800 words so it was complete so by by the time i'm typing this piece on my phone it's totally natural to write an extended piece like this so open up the notes on my smartphone and it's like, at that point, it was like, I think it was um, 10, 30, 11 p.m. And off I went. And I was typing by the light of my smartphone on this journey all the way south. And I was like, oh. you have to write it now because I had to capture exactly how it felt. Right. It has to be fresh. Um, yeah. And just, it, like emotionally as well, like kind of what, you know, what happens emotionally. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was just the journeys. I, and then I knew, I knew I had it when I sent it to Nikesh. Nikesh, one of my closest friends in the world. The amazing Nikesh read it and Nikesh was like, I know, I know. Nikesh was like, this is it. He said, you've done it, Musa. And Nikesh is not, oh. he will tell you about yourself. He'll tell you if it's not. And he was like, you've done it. You've done it. I'm proud of you. I love you. I'm, you've done it. You've done it. And I, I'll actually, the, the messages on my old smartphone, I should dig them up sometime and just read them again to myself because <laughs> it was so moving because Nikesh knew. He was like, yeah. no, this is, this is it. Oh, wow. I mean, I think that validation from friends as well is, is worth a lot, you know, especially when, especially when friends. know the craft, 
Yes. Especially the ones that know they're obsessed with the uh, Abby and Nikesh are obsessed with the craft. Yeah. They know when a thing, like they tell me if it wasn't quite this, it's, oh, we're not quite feeling. They would tell me because they're honest people, right? Yeah. But the way that they, the way they navigated it was like, no, you're, this was, I'm, honestly, this is so exciting. Like this book, it was like, before it even emerged into the world, I was a complete piece with it. Yeah. Wow. Was, That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Total I mean, piece. again, I feel like this all got, you know, even you just saying there, like how you managed to write. Um, all of that last section in one go on a smartphone you know again it's like all your skills coming together that real element of like like this is a lifetime's work almost like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not your peak you know but this is what you this is a defining moment that you've been working towards absolutely um, yeah absolutely and you know just talking of Nakesh there I've got a brown baby next to me oh wow um, oh wow yeah yeah but oh, it's made goodness. me think like I, I love like you also had a chat with Derek um on an Instagram live yeah. like these conversations as well between men it goes back to that kind of refreshing radical feeling yes. for me you know um and there's a bit which I particularly loved um where you talk about your football team, your football mates yeah. in Germany, and you're called the yeah. Unicorns. Which yeah, that's I your love. actual name. Yeah, that's uh, the scarf is somewhere here. They're called the Unicorns. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love and I love the kind of how you highlight. Well, you you say something, you know, that's like how you support each other as men and how you kind of yes male friends and how you've seen that loads with like the fem the women in your life. But yeah. it just feels really remarkable to see that happening in a group of men. Yes, um, it's beautiful. Yeah. I, I really, really loved that that moment. And I think even within intersectional feminist conversations, there are communities or groups that have to have those conversations between themselves before bringing it kind of out onto like, you know, a bigger, a bigger kind of feminist platform. Um, well, it's yeah. So I yeah, talk, I, I love what you said. The feminist, the feminist platform. It's funny you mentioned the, the great Jessica Horn. Jessica Horn is one of my greatest inspirations. Uh, she's an amazing um, poet, um, grant maker, uh, communications consultant for NGOs, and okay. she is in the kind of like African feminist tradition. She does a lot of editing on AfriFem. Uh, she's yeah. amazing, and and she is one of my great inspirations, maybe my greatest, and in terms of like, it's something that's helped shape my thinking and deconstructing everything. Right. And she talks about revolutionary love. Mm. You know, love is a form of self-care, what that means. So I'm always, right. I've always had this in my head. And like, so for me, when I talk about radical vulnerability, the key element of that, the, the theory of change, as they might say, is that confession inspires confession. If you write work that's confessional, it inspires others to interrogate themselves and examine themselves. Yeah. And that's why I wrote this book. It was almost like, if I deconstruct what I've been through, Mm -hmm. which is a process a lot of people are afraid of. If I do that, then other people will be like, they'll read it and be like, oh, I, I kind of need to do this. I can kind of need to, oh. And also because I do quite sort of blokey things, they're like, oh, playing football, this and that. Then guys that are like into the same things are like, oh, maybe I, I should be in therapy. Maybe I, I miss my dad. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should. And I'm getting messages now from different people. It's unbelievable. The, the Instagram messages I've had privately have been unbelievable. Right. Right. From people with mental health issues, people who right. just moved to a new city. Thank you so much. This was overwhelming that I was going through this thing. Mm. This, I was ill, then I moved to a new city and I read this book. And like all these, and from men, this is, this is what is so validating about 
this is this is who the book is for actually not yeah. necessarily men but for people who are in a place of like they want the extra step to like help themselves be confessional absolutely absolutely yeah I, I, which again like not to you know kind of keep repeating myself no please please that's fine, but no. like again it's just that this book needs to get in as many hands as possible you know because there, I feel like there really is something for everyone but I feel certainly you know talking about yeah but especially young men and you know and men just to yeah, yeah just I don't know just to show them that there is another way that uh, something is not necessarily feminine, that it's not weak to go to therapy, that it's actually strong because my gosh, going to therapy is a lot of emotional work to get to to the other side. So yeah, I, I, there were a lot of moments that I, I really kind of enjoyed like that specifically kind of, yeah, not redefining, but just rethinking or looking at masculinity from another angle. Um, yes. Very much here for it. There was there was something I noticed when I was reading, um, and it's it's in the section that is about death threats. It's called death threats. So yeah. very tough section, and I found it interesting because you say something along the lines of I got off lightly because you compare Mm. yourself to three other kind of friends or contemporaries who have also received this who have this experience Um, and I noticed that all of the comparisons were female yeah yeah and and it was interesting for me because I was like we are constantly navigating this kind of hierarchy or ladder it feels like you know like that doesn't make the death threat that you received any less horrendous wrong traumatic horrible but there is also that element of like oh but if I look at what this person said to my female friend wow that's kind of next level um so I just, that kind of spoke to me, I think, having, again, like, um, focused on feminist stuff, you know, I wonder, was that conscious on your part? Um, like, Yeah, it was, it was conscious, absolutely conscious, because what always gets me with the death threats against my female friends is, I, the death threat I got, the death threats I get are like, almost, come down here again, we'll kill you. And the death threats the women get, like, come down here, and we'll do this, and we'll do this, yeah. and we'll do this, and we'll do this. Yeah. And it's like, no, these men want to kill these women. And one thing, the, the big breakthrough that I had with misogyny, mm. the big breakthrough I had was, I basically was like, because Me Too happened, and I was like, hang on a minute. We've got all these all these women, all these women talk about experience they've had, all these women, but we have no perpetrators. Me Too is the biggest victimless crime in like modern history. Like yeah. all these, no, the biggest like perpetrator-free crime. All these victims are like, well, who's doing the perpetrating? And I was like, hang on a minute if there's that much misogyny around and that much hatred of women then it's right under your nose so I was basically like okay let me just take a guess and I wrote an article and the reason I got the death threat from this article where um there's a couple pieces I wrote but one of them one of the threats I got was 
they've always come to about misogyny actually that's the thing they always come when it when i write about misogyny okay that's when they come because it's okay. like almost men are go, men are going it's our right to do what we want with women mm. we're going to kill anyone that doesn't and the moment the men identify the reason why men this is the thing men say they don't know about feminism they do men are afraid of other men this is why men don't speak out more because men are terrified of losing the privilege of being one of the guys because they know the second they align themselves with a woman that's the death threats come Look at that guy, Dr. Dennis McQuaig in the Congo, the guy that operates on women and reconstruction like, after yeah. war. Because look at the hate he gets because he aligns himself with women. And then you've like almost broken rank. So the yeah. death threat I got, so a guy made a joke about, um, there's an advert where Nicole Scherzinger, one of the Pussycat Dolls. Yes. What she a does reference. An advert. <laughs> right, right, right. So she's face, she's, she's a, sorry, she's fake. She's no, faking. She's doing a kind of advert where she's like pretending to have an orgasm. Sure, as you do. Yeah, right. But you know, but it was like that. It's an app. Of course, it's an app. She's not having a real. It's an it's an app. And this guy who I knew was like, well, I I still know, but we're no longer friends or in touch, as you'll see in a moment. This wasn't a death threat, but I basically was like, he was like, oh, like I hate it with that silly b i t c h, pretend to have an orgasm, like her fake laughing, her fake orgasms, how pathetic. And I was like, it's an advert. And I was like, dude, that's. And he goes, I wish I could. And he, then he said, I wish I could punch her in the throat. Then he said, I wish I could punch her in the throat. Now here's the thing. There's such a graphic reference, and I'm like, men that joke about those things are visualized. Yeah, I was like, my whole thing is, I was like, so basically, I said from now on, I wrote an article on my blog, and I said from now on, any man who I hear make a joke about violence against a woman yeah. is either going to do it, has already done it, is normalizing what their friend has done. I'm making that assumption from now on. If a man makes a joke about beating up a woman, a graphic reference, he's done it or he's gonna do it or one of his mates has done it or is gonna do it. I'm gonna make an assumption. And the hate that that piece received, that's when I got my, my head got photoshopped onto the bottom. This is when ISIS had just started beheading people. Yeah. The Ken, the Ken Bigley, so someone basically photoshopped my head onto a, um, someone who had quite a big following on social media Okay. photoshopped my head onto an ISIS beheading and sent it to me on Twitter. And that was someone with a big following who basically knew people in worlds that were quite threatening to me. Okay. And that was, the, and, and, and both the, the, the severe sort of threats that whatever have come whenever I've critiqued the way uh, sexual violence against women is that's why when I say I got off lightly, because I'm like, that was just me almost touching mm. for Two instances is why I mentioned that in the book. Like it was just me touching for a couple of instances what women receive all the time, like yeah. women, friends of mine, and the nature of the threats that women are receiving. Yeah. Like when you're getting, yeah. when, when, you're, when, when your siblings are getting, when your kids are getting threatened, yeah. and when your husband's getting death threats on your behalf because you wrote something, which is actually an article that just needed to be in the world. Yeah. So this is why I say got off lightly. Right. Yeah. That Which is that how I'd interpreted it. And I just kind of. Of course. Like, exactly. Absolutely no, no. Thank. You know, I'm really glad you. I'm really that. glad you mentioned this. Yeah. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to pay respect to that because I'm like I'm really glad you've identified that because that was such an important part of the book. Like, yeah, yeah. It really struck me, and and one of the, you know, we we struggle at a book club to get um, men to come. Like we, you know, sometimes an odd book will have like a guy drop in. Obviously, we're, we're not at Shakespeare and Company anymore because we have to go online because of the C word. Um, and so it's something that, you know, I, I'm conscious of because, I mean, everyone needs to be having the conversation about race, about feminism, you know, about everything, about all of the kind of patriarchal structures that we talk about. It's, you know, 
yeah why why should all the work be on on women or like yeah exactly well, communities exactly. you know even when it's to do with like racism or pos- poverty or you know it's it's about coming together and being stronger together um, well I want that's I talk about one night stands in the book and I wanted to kind yeah. of break down you know I don't know if we call it a feminist perspective but if you look at like a lot of you know pornography is very transactional and adversarial mm. it's like man goes conquers leaves and I was like actually you know sex played a role during well, I mean it, it play it doesn't need to play a role it's of itself it you know has its you know yeah. it has its own value of itself yeah. but um yeah but but particularly during there were a couple of really tender moments which I didn't describe necessarily in the book in detail but I can talk about in the podcast because you know it's, it's weird <laughs> um there was someone I hooked up with while the kind of um a friend actually when the, the far right stuff was really bad yeah so it's just going on in the background and I was coming home I've been recording some music in Hamburg and I came back and I was on the bus back from Hamburg I had a great time because I make music as well so I've had a great time yeah. recording this and I checked my phone and I was looking at Facebook and there was a video of a black guy being beaten up by police dark-skinned black guy being beaten up by police in Berlin mm. and there was one the final I'll never forget the final moment of the video where the guy's lying there and he's being he's being restrained and handcuffed and the policeman goes over and gives him a final kick in the back. Completely gratuitous. And that just really broke me. And I called a friend and I said, this is so awful. Like, I, I can't, I can't, I can't go back to my place tonight. Mm. I can't I go back to, alone. I can't be alone tonight. And we yeah. ended up like hooking up that evening. Oh, wow. it was a very, yeah, no, it was a very, sorry, sorry. It's a very, no, it was that's a very, great. Like what a, no, no, what no, a way to turn around, like a, a, hor- a horrible day. Well, no, no, no and it was completely, here for it, here for it. No, no, it was a totally, it was a totally like, it was un, you know, it was un... It was unplanned, obviously. It wasn't conscious. You weren't like, no, and I might not. get like... No, it was like we went for a drink and then we went back to, and it was just kind of this very tender. And I was like, and we're just, you know, still great friends. And it was on yeah. these things, it's like, it was a very tender moment because it was like, um, oh my God, that's really personal detail. No, but I was like, <laughs> no, but it kind of, it made, what I was trying to make the point was, it was like, yeah. people have constructed one night stands as this like horrible, disposable, everyone feels dirty. And that's a very kind of yeah. religious type thing. I think people have basically demonized them because they're afraid that people will derive spiritual validation from these experiences, mm. which happen outside marriage. Yeah. And so I think that part of the part of the book and part of the way I talk about sex is actually, it doesn't have to be this adversarial, hyper-masculine, notches on a bedpost. It's actually a very nurturing, beautiful thing where two people can encounter each other and actually they may not be each other for a lifelong, but they have basically fulfill each other's spiritual needs actually for, for yeah. Definitely. Now that you say that, actually, I kind of hadn't made a specific note of it in my quotes or my questions for you. But now that you've said it, yeah, I think it's really worth highlighting that the way that you just kind of weave in like hookups or or kind of sexual encounters in the book, it is present and it is really nicely done. And I hadn't thought about it as counteracting you know, kind of what you've just said there about the shame surrounding one night stands. I think there's a lot of slut shaming um, around one night stands and also like the gay community as well, you know, that kind of being like something um, malignant or- Well, a friend wrote to to me and he said, a friend wrote to me and said, oh, like, yes, I know, because I I identify as bisexual. He's like, I I know bisexual goes, but it feels like, oh, there's parts that are hidden. I was like, dude, 
Not getting all the details. <laughs> listen, listen. Yeah, yeah. Listen. I mean, no, I said, I said, my man, listen. Like, there's a lot. There's a lot of things in that book. But the funny thing is, right, this book is very open and vulnerable. It's like, nah, like the good stuff. Yeah. The deleted, the deleted scenes. The deleted scenes. Exactly. Like you've got to keep <laughs> some stuff for yourself. Like you're wearing your heart on your sleeve, but you have to keep certain things for yourself. And also, also other, other people. Other people. Involved, yeah. No? Well, I'm what I'm really proud of in my. I've written two memoirs that are coming out this year, which is pretty wild for a 41 year old man, but. <laughs> the memoir about private school as well. Yes. Like, so I'm proud, let's I'm talk proud about of. this. Okay, so this yeah, let's get is... to that. So we've, got, we've got like 15, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, let's do it. <laughs> um, so, so tell us, so this is crowdfunded. This is not coming out through um, Rough Trade. And that's because you wanted complete creative control, right? So tell, tell us about this. Tell us, tell us. Yeah, so the, the book is called One of Them. And it is nice. a memoir about the five years that I spent from 13 to 18 years old at the um, the private school, the English private school, Eton College, which was attended by David Cameron and Boris Johnson and some other conservative politicians. Yeah. And the reason I wrote this William book is Harry, I, like, right? I need to... Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like so um, that kind of royal family, Right, so William was, William, <laughs> Prince William was a year um, younger than me at school. No. And Prince Harry, Right, yeah, yeah. Prince Harry, and Prince Harry was two years younger than him. Wow. So they were at school with us. They were okay, at school with wow. us. So I, I really wanted to, and I was like, hang on a minute, that period feels quite pivotal. You look what's happened since then. We've had the referendum. We've had yeah. um, austerity. Mm. The austerity policy was written by an old Etonian, Rupert Harrison. We have yes. um, the UKIP party was set up by um, someone whose children went there. God. We have like, you know, some leading academics, far right, well, right-wing academics who are who went there. Yeah. And I was there at that five-year period. So I was like, well, there's something about that period where I want to go back. And so I went back in time to write about oh, it. Like nice. what, what was going on there? What was foreshadowed? So yes. I went back in time. Yeah, so I went back. this is what I like because you're, you're not, this is not kind of like um, a juicy uh, kind of, tackly like this is what happened this is like taking a long hard look at like how structures are in yes. place that allow for yes the current uk prime minister exactly to yes. mishandle it's... brexit to mishandle yes. covered yes to like like you said to not be able to do the job like it's not faking yes. it until you make it it's like yes. so so this is a very kind of like long hard look at like the systems that just keep Absolutely. It's a, yes, exactly. Oh my God, exactly. It's a detailed deconstruction. It's it's not a book for like, you know, a couple of people got in touch and were like, oh, we want to adapt it for TV. And it was like, it wasn't the crash bang wallet they wanted. They were like, they wanted yeah. someone. I was, like, I was like, no, but it's not that. I said, actually, mm. it's a patient deconstruction and it's vulnerable again because I go and I look and I read my old school reports and I wow. critique my, I critique, yeah, it was very difficult. Wow. It's very difficult to critique yourself as a 41 year old man, a 41 man to write about a 13 year old it's extremely difficult. I can imagine. I mean, hard. you know, I think for many, like in the end, it was all about love could have been like the pinnacle of difficult, but I feel like the Harder. good immigrants could also kind of be in conversation with one of them because you do yes. talk about your um, kind of privileged education. And I, yeah. I say privileged because I'm like, I'm single parent, working class. And I went extremely to music school yeah. and my yeah. education I would say it saved me, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. in some ways. Um, but I feel like um, there's a lot of kind of what we what we refer to as respectability politics, and, and yes, you yes. being like one of two or one of very few 
um, black people in this very white environment, you say like, I had taken on some of these prejudices, you know? And um, and, yeah, and also you're not meant to, you're not meant to complain. You get this education, yes. which which kind of saves you, but it shouldn't be a situation where you're having to be saved. Like you yeah. should, there shouldn't be, education is not a lifeboat. Right. And, what was difficult, and I suppose radical in this book is, you're not meant to critique a school that's given you so much. Like I'm here yeah. talking to you now. I have the, one of the reasons I'm so comfortable in Germany is because the quality of German teaching at Eton was so good right. that 20 years after not studying German, I was still good enough to come here and speak it. Yeah, it's super impressive, French, by the way. The quality of teaching is so good, right? The quality yeah. of teaching is amazing, right? That's the teaching. Yeah. Obviously, I'm, I'm a smart guy. I worked hard, but the teaching was great. Right. So it's like, how do you critique a place where you've benefited from it and thought, well, actually, the only way I can do it is by going vulnerable and like you, I mean, I thought I thought that I, when I finished writing and the end is all about love, I was like, oh my God, I can't write anything that vulnerable. <laughs> right. And I wrote them back to back. I wrote oh them back gosh. to back. And I, yeah, I wrote them back to back and I delivered this book and people were like, why don't you try and sell it to like a big publisher? Why don't you try and sell it to like, I said, because the commercial pressure to name names. Yeah. The editors would have been like, oh, could you talk about that? Is that that person you're talking about? You're talking about this person. But here's the thing, in both books, right? What I'm proud of in both these books, I'm proud. You read these books, no one else is indicted but me. I indict myself and I indict structures. And in the end, it's all about love. I talk about myself and my journey. I don't mention the, the partner that broke up with me in a brutal way. Oh, that gosh. person's not mentioned. With They're not pizza. mentioned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Horrific. That's every bit of that is true. You know, the funny thing is, bless her, three years later, she got in touch and she's like, I want to go for coffee. Oh, did she's, you get some she, closure? Full closure. Right. Opening sentence was like, I'm so sorry. She was like, it was all me. I apologize. That was never anything oh. amazing. We're now really good friends, actually. We're oh, now really I love friend. that. Yeah. You do seem yeah, to yeah, have yeah. a very good skill at like staying friends with um, exes or potential. Well, once you <laughs> posted your ex's wedding, once you posted your ex's wedding, like, oh my my first, yeah, yeah, like the... That my first ever, the first, my first love, I um, I hosted her wedding. And you're still, so you're still friends then, clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's lovely. yeah, yeah, yeah. Still friends, still friends. Listen, one of them, when is that coming out? It's soon, right? April 15th, yeah, April 15th. April 15th, okay. I'm going to obviously like pop links in the show notes so that people can discover more about that pre-order. I know I need to be better at pre-ordering. I know that's really important. Um, it's all good. And you've got a second book as well that's coming out which is kind of linked to your podcast and your yeah. football journalism career and it's yeah. with none other than righty yeah I say yeah. that because yeah. I'm from the UK and that's kind of what yeah. we call him um what mate let's maybe we've got like nine I'll be very, I'll be, I'll be very quick about that and then also be... reading recommendations okay so very okay, quickly so yeah. how, how many how many how many reading recommendations do you want how many do you oh, want like one two okay like, songs whatever. my enemy taught me by joelle taylor oh okay there we go great cool unbelievable 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 um that's that's the book i'd recommend amazing book of poetry by joelle okay. unreal like okay. astonishing about basically like someone who's had to um, navigate, um, you know, the aftermath of sexual assault. Mm. And the writing is interstellar. It's unbelievable okay. the way okay. she's written. It's unreal. That, that piece is a piece of writing. It's, it's astonishing. Okay. The other person, this is, this is a person that's not out yet. This is someone to look out for. There is a writer called Jennifer Neal, okay. who I thank in my book. And I say, an incredible human being, even better writer. Jennifer Neal is basically 
she's the truth. This is one of the best writers. She, she's written a piece of work that's not out yet. And she is one of the most exciting writers I've ever encountered. She's a friend of mine in Berlin. Okay. She was the first person to read In the End It Was All About Love and give me feedback. She sent me a five minute voice note about it. Oh. That's, how I, that's how I knew the book was good because I didn't believe in it. And then Jennifer sent me a five minute voice note. I call it mixtape. I, <laughs> I, I joke, I said, you sent me a mixtape. And Jennifer basically, when Jennifer said it was good, I, so Jennifer basically used to, um, before the great Anthony Bourdain passed away, oh. she was basically being groomed as his protege. Yeah, as a host, as a TV host. She's just, she's a, she's a stand-up comedian. She's a TV, she's, she's a stand-up comedian. She's a host of like sort of food programs. Yeah. She's a TV producer for Deutsche Welle here in Germany. Okay. And she's also one of the best fiction writers people haven't read yet. And she is going to blow everyone away. Within, if we have this conversation two years from now, you'll be like, <laughs> I get it. Two years yeah. from now, you'll be, you'll like, be like, I get you it. You told us, you yeah. told us back so then. She's, <laughs> so one book, one recommendation for reading and one to look out for. So very quickly, the writing books. So I love that they're the both writing. women as well. Go, 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 go. Oh my God. So the writing, so the, the writing book, um, so very quickly. Um, so Ian Wright, so I have a podcast called Stadio on yeah. the Ringer uh, Podcast Network. And Ian got to know my political journalism and then started getting in, enjoying it. And so I interviewed him for my football podcast a few months later, he now has a football podcast on the same network called Writer's House, which I'm on like once every couple of weeks. Yeah. So we've become friendly. And then after a certain point, he was like, uh, him and his uh, agent, manager, Roscoe Bowman, Roscoe, shout out to Roscoe. Roscoe was like, we want to write a biography for Ian, a children's biography. We know they've written children's books before about football with Raheem Sterling, about Raheem Sterling. Yeah. Could you do the same for Ian? And we were like, actually, how about fiction? Because everyone knows Ian's life kind of an outline by now. So why, yeah. why don't we take that Desert Island Discs interview he does, which is incredible and iconic. We'll take that, but we'll take that Desert Island Discs. We'll make that the emotional core of a novel. And we'll, we'll basically get um, a fictional character, Jerome Johnson, um, 13 year old kid who is an amazing footballer who basically just on the verge of making it big, age six, was hit by a horrifying tragedy. Seven years later, he's trying to rebuild himself and make his way as a footballer, but he's 13, he feels his chance is gone. And then one day by complete chance, Ian sees him playing football in Hackney Marshes. Oh. Ian, sees him Ian sees him playing football and this kid is playing with a skill and intensity that reminds Ian of him when he was young. Okay. And Ian sees this kid and it becomes his unlikely mentorship friendship. And Ian basically mentors this kid. Wow. So that's oh. nice because again, that's kind of like not centering one person who is already kind of really well known. It's like... Absolutely. It's and Ian anyone, really, you know? Yeah. And it's Ian, you only see Ian play football basically once in the whole book. Okay. And the whole thing is basically like, it's Ian as a human. Yeah. And he's a very, so I basically sent the first three chapters to like them the other day. And I was like, is this gonna work? And they were like, you know, no, they loved it. They were like this, because it's the way it's, because oh. it's making it authentic, it's making it authentic to like, yeah. you know, a you know, really like Jerome as a character, what he goes through, yeah. he goes through like really awful things, awful, yeah. awful things. Yeah. emotionally abusive stepdad like Ian himself. So that, that's coming right. out in right. in September. Uh, and we just got yeah. the cover. It just came out today, the cover of the bookseller. Ex just oh, exciting. Half what an hour before, half an hour before this phone call. Oh. The, the cover, the cover came, the cover was, was published. I'm going to go and take a look at that then. Um, so it's the year of Musa, basically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Forget no, the not. year of the ox. It's the year of Musa. <laughs> How one other thing, I will, one other thing I will say to plug quickly is, so yeah. we actually, while I make music, right? So yeah. we just got a grant from the German government, right? Woo we just got a grant. But, what are you so going to do? 
Well, we've done it. So we've recorded, we recorded 25 songs as a music project, but they're a kind of musical sibling to this album, <gasps> to, to, to this book. So basically wow. we're going to release an album later this year in autumn at some point, which basically is like each, almost each um, track will have an interlude, which will be me reading a segment from If Then It's All About Love. Because for example, like, like three of the songs that we wrote are directly inspired by writing from this book. So there's um, the actual album is called Keep Loving, Keep Pushing. Right. By my group BBXO and Keep Loving, Keep Pushing is the final line of one of the chapters, How to Play yes. the Race Card. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So oh there's like a gosh. whole, their bass is a musical accompaniment to this book coming out in September. That's amazing. We've got the scoop. So there we go. Yep. Wow. Inside Intel. There we go. Inside Intel. Oh, thank you so much. Listen, Musa, I'm gonna let you go off and do your next thing and then later enjoy your ragu. Um, thank you so much. Can't wait. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, just gonna we're just gonna be following and reading and supporting and you know cheerleading you over here in Paris so I'm and I'm honored I mean, before I go and say I'm honored to be asked to join this podcast oh um, stop it <laughs> and I, no I really am and I, when things clear up whenever that may be I hope to catch you in Paris at some point um oh my gosh I, yes come you know what's Paris. actually about this book I weird enough because this book everyone normally goes book launch book launch but actually they should oh, yeah. have book launches they should have book launches six months after the book is out because then everyone's <laughs> read it and engaged with it if you think about it so, so actually now the great thing will be that by the time you finally have a book launch for this book, people will have their own feedback on it or their own experiences of it. Exactly. You've got to take like the silver linings that every Always. situation Always. presents, right? Well, Always. yes, let's have a Paris-Berlin meetup. Um, that would be awesome. Um, and in the meantime, just take care of yourself. And Thank you. You so too. Absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Take care. Till take the next care. time. Till next time. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Um, head to the show notes to um, find links for purchasing. In the end, it was all about love. Uh, Pre-ordering one of them, Musa's next book. Uh, you'll also find the reading recommendations that he talks about during um, the recording and where you can follow him on social. Um, we'll be back soon with another guest episode. In the meantime, take care of yourself. Bye.